World of Work podcast with James and Jane. Hello, this is James. And this is Jane. And here we are again today with another episode of a World of Work podcast. We've got an exciting one. What are we speaking about today, Jane? Okay, so today we have a guest from Edinburgh University, just down the road from us. And we are talking to Alison Kozlowski. And we're talking all about the thorny issue of parental leave and specifically uh, trying to understand uh, the, the issue of parental leave and gender equality. That's right. We've got a conversation exploring a broader topic, but also looking a little bit at the role of paternal leave and what that contributes to the gender equality that we have or don't have, um, as well as some other things our organizations can do to shift the dial on that. So let's get into the conversation. Okay, so here we are in the main body of today's conversation, and, and we're really lucky today to be speaking to Alison Koslowski, and we're going to be exploring gender equality more broadly and then focusing in a little bit on the role of parental leave in shaping equality and some of the things that perhaps our organizations and we working in organizations can do to have some influence on, on this domain. Um, before we get into some of that detail, though, Alison, would you be able to introduce yourself to the audience and say a bit more about yourself and your background and the things that you're working on at the minute? Yeah. Hi, James. Hi, hi, Jane. I'm a professor of social policy and research methods at the University of Edinburgh and also an honorary visiting professor at University College London. And my field of research is parental leave policy in international perspective. I, am, I also work as a consultant and advisor with organisations interested in improving gender equality outcomes, particularly with regard to parental leave. Just recently with colleagues, um, we've published the 2020 International Review of Leave Policies and Research, which covers um, 45 countries at the moment, and that's an open access resource. And this year, we've also included a summary of um, COVID-related policy responses to supporting parents and other, other carers. That's excellent. And I've heard you speak before about some of the reports from prior years, and I think we'll get on to some of that detail in a minute. But I'd like to start a conversation quite broadly and ask, what is gender equality? What does it, what does it really mean to you and how does it appear when there is equality? Well, there are certainly different ways to think about and, and to understand gender equality. Um, for me, in relation to parental leave in particular, um, gender equality is a situation where gender doesn't play a role in the opportunities that a person has to take leave and to care. And that at least across the, the whole population, there would be a very similar number of, of men and women taking leave for a similar amount of time. So it might not be that every parenting team, if you like, shares the leave evenly between them, but that on average across a whole population, there wouldn't be a gender gap. Right. So we're, we're really looking at that sort of stepped up view. When we look across a broad population, we see parity within that. Yes, exactly. So there's still room for people to play it, if you like, as, as they like. Not that everybody has to be identical in how they, how they divide things. But that on average, you wouldn't, see, you wouldn't see a gender gap. Sure. How do things look at the minute? Do you, do you have a sense of where we are on, on that um, equality or lack of equality? 
Well, it depends what particular aspect of gender gap you're, you're interested in. I'm interested in um, gender care gap, sure, which is, I think, the other side of the coin from the, the gender pay gap. Mm-hmm. And the, the gender care gap is still pretty big, um, either in global perspective or across different countries, though there is certainly variation. And that variation is very interesting because it, it shows that it's not fixed in stone. Right. And and when we say very big, roughly, what are we speaking about? So um, these things are quite difficult to, to measure, of course. Um, one organization that, that does spends a lot of time doing this is the European Institute for Gender Equality. And they have some really excellent sort of infographics if um, people want to check them out. Um, that would would sort of try and estimate these these gender care gaps. So I'm just thinking about the care gap in time spent on care and leisure activities. So in a place like Sweden, it might be that thinking if 100 was perfect gender equality, then we're at sort of around 80 or 90. So not bad. Um, country like, um, not picking on any country in particular, Bulgaria comes to mind. Um, there would be more down around sort of 40 um, out of 100. Wow. So that's a huge variation. And, and so that's specifically within, I guess, for the equality of care provided within the domestic setting. Is that fair? Yes, it's the time spent um, in caring and leisure activities. Mm-hmm. So that's the measure they use. So that's on the um, European Institute for Gender Equality um, website. People want to get the apps and to make sure they've got the right figures. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure they are. If we sort of step back and, and think about some of the causes behind that, do you think you know that work plays a role in that? I mean, how, how does how does work fit within our shaping of care and that form of equality? So, I mean, unsurprisingly, I think um, the culture of our workplaces reflects uh, the culture of our, our home lives. So, um, uh, responsibility doesn't lie with with one domain or, or the other, but that doesn't mean that there isn't still a lot to be done. So, I think. Um, Maybe firstly, we need to think about how we'll see how our formal work, if you like, paid work, is reflecting cultural gender norms. So um, we draw on strong gendered norms to make sense of our world. So you, you can think of norms as um, unquestioned understandings that we all use, if you like, for better or, or for worse. So one example would be the understanding that girls and boys are differently suited for different types of jobs. Mm-hmm. And so we, we see we do see strong patterns of um, what we call occupational sex segregation. So if you right. just think of the usual stereotypes, um, there are very few female computer scientists or games programmers still, and there are very few male nurses or, or care workers. And there are loads of examples that you can draw on. So we see then um, this acceptance that men and women are different. Um, that's quite mm-hmm. hard to challenge. Um, so there are female mechanics and there, there are male nursery teachers. But it's, it's not so easy for them often to go against, uh, against the grain. And, and this occupational sex segregation certainly goes some way, I think, in, in explaining the gender gaps that we, we see, gender pay gaps. Because um, we know that organisations that are, say, female-dominated or male-dominated have different patterns around um, the way they, they support people with, with caring. Yeah. And then secondly, I would say within organisations there might be these gendered ideas about the support that employers employees need so that mothers take a long maternity leave is not often questioned yeah and if they make it past maternity discrimination at least the organization would tend to rally around and make it happen um in, at least in the uk i think um but the fathers will take a similar leave just not is just not a thing yeah okay um in many organizations so they're not not ready to handle the request so if women are taking time out for caring responsibilities more often than men then these colleagues are no longer the same right um and then that gets reflected in 
career progression. So that's so this these two the two things do sort of obviously feed off each other um, and sort of reinforce um, existing patterns. Yeah. Okay. And when we're looking at trends within this, do you see trend progression? over the last, I guess, several decades in relation to both equality in the workplace, be it through, um, you know, uh, gender pay gap, which I know is a, a topic that many people are exploring, but also in terms of our perceptions um, and the permissibility of genders in different roles. Do, do, do you see progress? I mean, what's your view on that? Yeah, I mean, definitely. Um, so I think for a long time, uh, the focus has maybe been on increasing female labor market participation. So um there's a lot of variation across countries still in terms of um, the, 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 yeah, the, the participation rates of, of women and um, as full-time workers and um, whether they're working part-time. So men still predominantly are, are full-time workers and there's much more variation um, across countries in women's patterns. And, and we definitely see an increase of pretty much across all countries in, in the number of women and particularly mothers in, in the labour market. So that's been a change. We've also seen an increase um, in terms of fathers caring, um, but perhaps not to the same degree as, as mothers' labour market participation. Um, and there's been a lot more focus on um, measures, I suppose, to support women in getting into the labour market, but not necessarily supporting fathers to, um, to, with their caring responsibilities. But um, I would say there's a but. One of the things that um, there's been quite a lot of research just in the last few months on the impact of COVID. And um, people have been conducting studies around what, how that impacts on, on kind of the division of, of care, childcare and domestic work and paid work. And um, uh, IGA, as I mentioned, the European Institute of Gender Equality have flagged up some concern that we might be starting to go backwards in terms of this um, um, progression towards gender equality. Yeah, that's really interesting. I think I've seen some of the things... Um coming out recently in sort of the popular press and uh, around people's experience. I wanted to ask you about a slightly longer term trend that uh, I've seen covered recently and, and whether it's got any relevance here. So I saw something recently that suggests that in, in several countries, not all, but in several Western countries, there is a long term trend that uh, parents' time spent caring for their children is, is on the increase on an average per day so that people are spending fundamentally as a household, a little bit more time uh, with their children than they used to. Do you think that presents sort of an additional challenge for the gap that we see? Because whilst roles or, or people that have genders that are traditionally associated with less time with children, so for example, in the UK, fathers might be spending more time with their children and taking on more caring responsibilities because the total expectation and norm has gone up. It means that really that gap's still there and, and not decreasing. And I, I wondered... If, if that's something that you've seen or, or how that plays into the research that's going on. Yeah, that's um, so you're sort of pointing to um, intensification of, of parenting. Um, so it's, it's not something I'm an expert on, but I've certainly seen research papers that suggest this. It's a nice paper, I think it's by um, Bianchi and, and Sayer in looking at using time use data. And they found that um, if you're like a housewife from the 1970s who wouldn't be working, was actually spending less time on childcare than a full-time working mother. Um, uh, in, in I can't remember the exact date, but in the, sometime in the sort of um, maybe around 2010, something like that. That's phenomenal. So yeah, so there's definitely been an intensification or change in our parenting practices, um, and um, I'm sure that that will 
will sort of feed into this um, as well. Uh, I guess the question would be, again, even if there has been an intensification, why why is that gendered? Yeah, absolutely. And, and why, I guess that's what so I find so interesting is why is it effectively, and, you know, this would take research and is, is an initial reflection is if, you know, the traditional role that is spending less time, so that in the UK, the man is, or the husband is spending less of less time than the woman, but has upped overall. Why is that not replacing the other care, but instead adding on to it, if you see what I mean? So why is the growth? Because it seems to me um, that that if if there are significant shifts in the way that we're parenting as whole, but it's doing nothing to redress the gender balance or the gender equality, then it, it seems to sort of ask, why aren't we looking at how we parent as a whole to really think about how that could work better for everyone? And I think when you, the COVID thing you mentioned is really important because um, I'm not close to the research at all, but what I see around me and my clients and the organisations I work with absolutely would would mean that what you're saying is unsurprising to me, that we might be seeing a shift backward. And especially when you've got that disproportionate number of women in part-time roles or in more flexible time-based roles, and uh, which means that it, you know, by nature, those those roles also tend to be the ones that shrink down and up when there's things like um, lockdowns, I would imagine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think um, one time, when, when we think about time use, um, need to also factor in leisure time and also sleep as well. So I think it's, it's even bigger than thinking about parenting practices, but... Um, uh, it's also how, almost sort of how we live our lives. It's, it's, um, it's these very big, big questions, um, which the time use data allow us to get to in, in a really interesting way. Yeah, I think I think uh, time use time use data is fascinating, and there's not enough research. That's obviously it's quite a hard thing to access. But I suppose with technology, we're getting much better at starting to understand that. I wanted to just just ask you a question. I was I was reading I was reading through uh, the prep notes for the podcast, and I kept coming back to this question around how um, we see the policies slowly improving uh, in terms of uh, the way that people can access paternal and maternal care in the UK, but that the noise, if you like, in the popular press appears to be that there is a reluctance, and certainly in some of the organisational grey literature, there seems to be a reluctance of men to take that parental leave in its entirety or in a way that suits suits them. And I wondered if that's something that's backed up in the research or if you have any thoughts on that. Yeah, um, well, I'm interested in the phrase you use there, that policies are slowly improving. And I think that's part of the problem. I think you have to be a bit more radical in the change. I'm not sure that incremental slow improvement is effective um, in, 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 the, in, the, in terms of levelling up men and women's access to leave. You either have access to leave or you don't. Having an extra few days here or there um, is is not is not sufficient. Or only having access to leave through eligibility from your partner is not the same as having individual entitlement. So, I think there's a problem there in terms of policies slowly improving, um, and that is then linked to um, might be perceived as reluctance by men to use it. But I think it's again, what, what is it that we're actually giving them to use, if you like, um, and um, if it's poorly paid um if there isn't any paternity cover but there is maternity cover these these sort of things then it's not a level playing field that we're creating um so 
we might need a sort of uneven playing field given that the, the shift is changing. But I think, um, yeah, it's not if there isn't dedicated individual entitlement for fathers, which there isn't in the UK, then um, it's not surprising that we don't see men taking it. And I guess if we if we think about that uneven playing field and, and what the entitlements are, if we look around the countries that you've looked at, how varied are they? I mean, what is a good um, good state of parental leave policy and, and what's a poor state? What, what are the sort of boundaries that we're looking at maybe in Europe? So um, I think it's um, simply... Um that uh, we, we need, if we want to, if, we, if we're aiming for a gender equal outcome, we have to start with um, gender equal opportunity. And um, we don't have that very often in, in leave policies. There's a, there's a great book actually by um, Gail Kaufman just out this year called Parental Leave, The Six-Month Solution. She's based in the US, um, but she's considering mm-hmm. UK um, and Sweden. And, and she's really advocating moving to the system of individual entitlement to leave it's not gendered it's sort of moving mm-hmm. us beyond um a primary carer model that there is one person that does the parenting if you like in a, in a parenting team um mm-hmm. so um in terms of what make what, what i think i think other countries which have that well, iceland's just reformed theirs so that you have okay. um i think it's four months um Four months father, four months and mother, and four months to be shared between them. So that's not a bad right, model. Okay. Um, you've also got uh, in, in Sweden, they have the same number of days allocated. They call it the mommy quota and the daddy quota. Um, mm-hmm. And we know Norway has a similar system. Um, and these, these, where you have a mummy or daddy quota of, of days that can only be taken by that parent, um, they, mm-hmm. the father does take them um, pretty much. Um, and when you take that quota away, Interestingly, what's happened in some countries, fathers have stopped taking it. Um, so, so I just can't emphasize enough, I think, that the importance of this individual entitlement of people to, to leave. It can't be something that you decide between you or that follows the child. Yeah. And, and when we see a sort of a shared approach like there exists in many different countries, then um, what proportion of that time do you find is taken by the women? Is it, is it almost exclusively or, or is it a bit less? And, and have you got any thoughts on what some of those other defining factors as to why that would be, might be? So um, I was just looking at a paper yesterday around Sweden where they do have um, pretty much even, even Stephen's um, accessibility to leave. And uh, mm. women are taking three quarters of all days available um, still. Right. So even okay. if you like the best system that there is, more or less, um, you still see that, um, that, that quarter of the days. The quarter of days, um, um, as opposed to the, three, to the three quarters, is matching the daddy quota, um, interestingly. Right. So, so again, it's, sort of, it's back to that. The other thing is around... Um, payment of leave as well that's really important okay so um if you think in the uk um fathers don't have access to any leave that pays more than about 148 pounds a week unless employers top up statutorily yeah yeah yeah. which is i mean it's way below living wage right Mm. so not a good time to take a big cut in income um when you've just had a baby no that totally makes sense and if we think then about maybe some of the reasons that fathers aren't taking the leave when it maybe is available, we've talked a little bit there about the salary and the, the need for an employer top up to make it uh, a reasonable amount of salary in in a time of, of parenting. Are there any other reasons that you think make it harder for fathers or make fathers less willing to take leave or, or you know, perceptions that they might feel? Yeah, I, I think um, 
I suppose um, it does matter in a way whether or not there is national level legislation, I think. Um, so, um, uh, if, so the cultural context is important. So, so where you have um, equal leave policies and it's something that everybody has to do, it becomes normal um, for certain behaviours, for men to take, as we've discussed, at least part of the leave. Um, I think whether you, where you don't have that national context, then workplaces which do have equal leave policies are sort of still pushing against, sort of, as we've discussed, the prevailing cultural cultural currents, which can can make it hard. Um, but still, things you can definitely do are um, uh, we know that the role of line managers is really important. So um, you need to be able. It, that's where it really happens. That dis, that decision to ask to take leave depends a lot on the relationship with, with line managers. If line managers have been able to be role models in advance, um, the research would show that that makes a big difference again in thinking whether you can ask for it without potentially sort of being penalised in some way. I think that's really interesting. I um, I was talking to someone who's done some research about uh, uh, bereavement uh, when you're employed and they found something very similar about the role of the line manager and the importance of all of that and how much unsaid... Le- is le- how much that is unsaid is learnt from the reactions of the line manager to other situations or to their own own situations. Um, I wanted to ask you a little bit about the case for why it's important. Um, so uh, there is a good and well articulated moral case for trying to achieve equality in many of areas of, of work life. Um, but one of the challenges and one of the uh, things that I've experienced in maybe not so forward-looking organizations is around like why why should we why should we encourage this and I just wondered uh, if you had any reflections on why organizational leaders should be pursuing uh, act rather than just complying should be actively pursuing supporting their staff to do this um, and whether you know there's any evidence for example of when when people take more parental leave, they they you know they are able to have better working working life balances or similar. Well, I think um, the the research that I've seen would suggest that it it uh, is, is correlated with with people being very more engaged if they they feel people value these policies um, and typically um, they may take them uh, they may prefer to stay in an organisation. We did some research and people in the organisation were telling us that they. Um, in a way, didn't mind taking the um, hit to their income by changing organisations because this organisation had particularly good um, leave policies that allowed them to um, live the lives that they wanted to leave with a sort of balance um, with their family working lives. Um, so, so I think a sort of loyalty and, and employee engagement is, is one, one advantage you would typically expect to see. Um, and hopefully then from engaged and in, it's enthusiastic employees, you've got increased productivity um i think it's also in terms of if you are invested in training people then you, you're not wasting talent in the sense that you're, you're less likely to lose talent so it helps employers to retain talent and um and any investment they put into into training um people people stay they come back um they, they recommend it to plan there was a great um example of how people were using it for recruitment as well um, they were saving the money in recruitment uh, costs because they were really um, selling their message about um, having good uh, f- family support policies, um, that sort of thing. So, so those would be, be some kinds of, of benefits, as well as if you 
do have targets to meet in terms of reducing gender pay gap. Um, this is an obvious way to to approach that. Yeah, that makes lots of sense. And I think I think there's something we've talked before with guests around uh, the idea of. I mean, it gets very called variously bringing your whole self to work or not needing feeling the need to mask and and not not being able to manage your boundaries more effectively even when things sort of cross over. And I just it, it strikes me that where organizations are able to recognize that the people that work for them have a full and diverse life beyond the the nine to five or the or the shift that they work and beyond the responsibilities, they appear to be much more able to appropriately support their employees, which seems to me comes out uh, allows people to feel like they can invest more time and energy in parts of their career with a single organization and I just I wonder I know we've seen a move away uh, from the majority of people staying in one job for their entire lives but I do wonder if it will be these policies rather than high wages that will be the breaker between whether people are uh, able to be kept from kept in a relationship with a single organization for longer Um, and and the the product, like you say, the productivity benefits that come with that. Um, and do you, as a researcher, do you find organisations who are interested and want to engage with your research and want to solve the problem? Are they out there? Should should our listeners have hope that there are people that get that this is important? Do you think? Um, I, I definitely think there is hope that uh, I've met many organisations which are very interested in um, tr- trying to to do the best thing here. Um, one of the problems um, in the in the UK context is there isn't a level playing field. So um, when organisations um, go above and beyond what they are required to do, that, that may have cost implications. Um, why they might want to do that, we've, we've touched on lots of reasons. Resilient and, and healthy employees have uh, supported with having good relationships in the round um, has, has many benefits. So there's reasons why you might try. But yeah, costing is certainly something for people to think about. Um, I suppose maternity leave replacement has long been thought as a sort of training opportunity or recruitment opportunity. So extending that to paternity replacement cover is is something um, to think about. Um, And again, just moving on from, well, shifting, I suppose, the burden of, um, oh no, um, there's someone who's going to come in and take lots of leave um, who happens to be a woman. In a way, if you share that, burden across parents then that um doesn't get rid of the problem for the employers but it 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 makes it not a gendered problem and i guess it sounds like there there are a few things that if we do more at a national level um would be helpful and then a few things that if we did at a policy level within an organization where we can take decisions about spending that that we can we can lead to some changes here what do you think some of the things that individuals can do in the workplace so maybe if you had individual leaders in in the workplace who had maybe limited scope on some of a policy but could engage with their people and, and do other things um within their organizations is there anything that they could do that would help um, address some of these challenges? Yeah, I think, um, so um depends on the size of your organisation, but um, first thing is just to make sure that you are fully aware of what is available. Um, so there's something called um, unpaid parental leave, which a lot of people just don't know exists. I mean, it's not the most helpful in the sense that it's unpaid, but it's uh, basically uh, four weeks in a given year that parents can take um, on top of annual leave, um, which can really help with things like the school holidays. Um, wow. 
And just uh, that's something I didn't know about. Is, is that something that's in a single year, in a year of birth, and multiple years? How does that work? It's something I wasn't aware of at all. Yeah, so it's uh, unpaid parental leave. Uh, you can take, I think, I think it's 13 weeks. It might be, it's either 13 or 18 weeks, a maximum of four weeks mm -hmm. per year up to the child being 18. Um, wow. Okay. Uh, yeah, yeah. So this is, this is actually linked to um, a European Union directive on, on parental leave. Um, that required Great. so who knows we might lose it um, <laughs> old news right <laughs> but, uh, but still so, so it's, that's a good example of um, actually my brother's just taken it so he moved to an organization um, in November last year he had his first baby in February so was not eligible for um, anything other than well, actually was not eligible for anything because he hadn't mm -hmm. been working there long enough so he was he mm -hmm. took annual leave for some paternity leave um, but he really wanted to, pardon me, he's my brother, he had to, but um, he really wanted to have some parental <laughs> leave experience. And so he's taken unpaid yeah. um, parental leave and his organization hasn't understood it. So he's still been receiving his salary um, in the last month wow. because the HR just doesn't have a category box to tick for this unpaid parental wow. leave. So back to your question, what could people do? Well, just basically find out what is available. Um, make sure your HR kind of, department is up to speed and and if they need support then there are organizations that they can turn to as well for sort of best practice bringing it closer to home um i think it's uh, just challenging maybe your ideas about who should do what around parenting i i've met quite esteemed colleagues in the not too distant past who, who just were flummoxed really with the idea that um, men might be involved in infant care so yeah. I think that's still something to challenge, um, just checking that people um, do, do appreciate that just because you're not the, the, the birth mother, um, you, you may still be a key co-carer, um, in, in, mm -hmm. even in the early days. One of the things that I hear sometimes people have a, a challenge with or, or men have a challenge with is if you take paternity leave, you kind of give up your seat at the table in the workplace. And obviously it's the same for, for maternity. But if you do that for a shorter period of time, a sense I get is that sometimes men might find that threatening or they lose part of their role or they're worried about missing out or they're worried about being a burden on others who need to cover for them and, and all those types of things that, that are sometimes internal barriers to the decisions to take that leave. If, if you're an employer and people have those concerns, what types of things would you say to them or, or what types of things might people be able to do to help overcome some of those uh, challenges or preconceptions or concerns? I, I think maybe, um, again, it's sort of... Uh looking at what the norm is in your organization and if there's a norm for say which would be quite generous four weeks fathers taking it but six months of mothers then recognizing that you've got a real gendered pattern there and is that kind of what why is that so conversations yeah. about it um being explicit about the differences um and then that's very much correlated or linked with um maternity replacement cover is still very usual so you don't have this um, burden uh, kind of yeah. thing um, that you're you're kind of lumping your <laughs> lumping all your work onto your colleagues while you're away, possibly with good good reason. I mean, good good you, good reason to be frightened that might be the case. Yeah. Um, so we need to think about paternity replacement cover, but then for it to be worth it, you, you want fathers to be taken course, enough yeah. time. So we're a little bit stuck yeah, at the moment, yeah. I think, between um, that and that is the organisations that have started to bring in the sort of six months um, leave for fathers. Um, Aviva have done that, Diageo have done that recently. Um, they, it's very recent, it's literally the last sort of 12, 12 months, 18 months. 
so they're still trying mm-hmm. to work out what the impact is but um uh again then as you said what people can do is it's the role modeling um and the um all the things that the good practice that's done with with mothers and returning mothers sort of the uh keeping um what's the keeping in touch days that sort of thing yeah yeah and um uh um yeah, I suppose it's um, we've just you just got to keep pushing sometimes until it becomes normal or it becomes not normal, if you like, to not take the time when it's available. <laughs> yes, I like the way of, of swapping it so instead of it becoming normal, it becomes not normal to not do it. If that makes sense, I, I like that. With the organisations that you work with and, and, and speak to at the minute, do you think there is a, a level of role modelling at senior levels? I mean, do, do you see that? Do you, do you think that that, that story is being told and that leader attention is, is being paid in this area um i, I guess um partly uh, it's a it's a live stage thing um mm-hmm. so uh where you've had do, do you have your most senior people at that stage in their lives where they're having small children um and therefore would you expect them to be be modeling it so you do tend to see the modeling a bit bit lower down i guess the famous examples would be people like mark zuckerberg um uh, so he didn't take the full entitlement, but he did take a decent chunk. So I guess the signal yeah, he's okay. sending is take a decent chunk, but don't take all of it. Absolutely. Um, and I suppose it comes again to this question of um, it, it might be okay sometimes for people to prioritize if that's what they want to do, staying at work or having a shorter leave. But why is it always gendered? Yeah, and that's a fair question. And and um, and, and like you said, we've got the sort of weight of history and cultural expectations behind us. Um, which I think is a hard thing to change, and it feels like people want to, but it but it feels listening to you describe it, it feels like almost one of those puzzles where you've got all the pieces in place, and each puzzle makes it a little bit harder to move another piece. So we've got you know cultural expectations, we've got state policy, we've got you know duration of leave, we've got role modeling, we've got all those bits that need to move, and it feels like it's hard to unlock any specific one. Um, if you were gonna, if you had a, a magic wand and could change one thing, um, and do that to, to help unlock some of this, what, what do you think that most powerful thing would be if you could strike a switch and, and shift something radically? I um, would try and realize an integrated system of leave and childcare, which is um, affordable and high quality. So, in countries where we we see this shifting in a good direction, we have. Um, so set stuff very heavily subsidized, high quality childcare available as soon as the leave comes to an end. So there isn't this gap of time where you kind of think, oh, I'm not. What do you do? Um, so in the UK, it's it's sort of the the fees are phenomenal, aren't they? It's around a thousand pounds per month per, per per child. Is not. Unusual. It's it's really huge. It's and huge. And if you've got multiple children, it's it's phenomenal. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's not, and that's not that's not normal, at least in not in a European context. Um, so. In other countries like Germany, Sweden, you're talking about 140, 150 euros a month. Phenomenal. So that that makes a big difference. And also in Germany and Sweden, um, you have uh, this this 140, 150 euro high quality childcare is available to integrate with the end of the leave period. So you don't have this gap. Yeah. So that's that would be my 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 first on my wish list. I think that's a a, a pretty good wish to have because I think it's something that would it works for everyone, right? So it, it starts addressing some of the un, some of the underlying issues that are creating this gendered gender difference. Um, 
I wanted to ask you a question uh, that occurs to me as we're talking about this, which I, I think you kind of alluded to earlier, but I just kind of want to spell it out for the audience and see if I've understood correctly. Do you think, um, so within particularly small and medium-sized organizations, but across, across the across the workforce, we see uh, discrimination against mothers uh, and indeed women of a certain age who are perceived to be potentially mothers of the future when they're being recruited. We still see that, right? We still, um, there's lots of campaigns around uh, people uh, who are either pregnant and then feel that that has been a factor in changing in their work circumstances or indeed people that we still see cases of people not being hired because they are perceived to maybe have a baby in the future. And, and, and you know, there is an acknowledgement that in small and medium-sized organisations, it can be a bigger disruption because there's less people to cover it, right? So there's less options. But I just, it occurs to me that if we can change the societal norms to being more equal, we may see some of that discrimination completely disappear because it would be a completely unfounded thing to assume if you're interviewing someone that the woman that you're interviewing is the one who's going to take the, the lion's chunk of the the leave there would be because you wouldn't have those those imbalanced norms and I just it just strikes me that if we could do something about this situation and giving better access to parental leave then uh for for both genders then suddenly we might sort of knock off yet another different uh issue around equality without even realizing it is that would that be a fair sort of supposition to sort of think about and reflect and look at yeah, I think you've summed it up really well. Um, uh, exactly. I, I think um, what's interesting is that was, was, uh, you could potentially almost flip it and you'd have paternity discrimination instead of maternity discrimination because logically fathers are at risk for longer <laughs> or men are at risk sort of in the risk group for becoming fathers <laughs> taking leave for longer. Oh, my word. I hadn't even thought of that. But, of course, uh, <laughs> retari- you know, I you assume you're referring to uh, periods with which they uh, – traditionally are seen to be on average fertile exactly yeah yeah amazing yeah. I mean not amazing terrible but am- an amazing thought that might come out of that would be a, a completely different um and I really love that idea and I think it plays to what James talked about about uh or I think both, actually both of you mentioned about how it's all interconnected and if we start to move one thing then slowly you see other things uh being released into the system so yeah, yeah. thanks no, no, you're welcome. Yeah. And, and I think um, Gail Kaufman, the book I mentioned, um, she really describes this well. What you just, uh, so what you just outlined, that um, this sort of uh, individual access to to leave um, is is really very helpful in many ways. Yeah. Excellent. I shall uh, learn how to articulate that conversation better by going and reading her book. That sounds good. I'm going to jump in and start to draw us to a close because I think we are starting to run out of time. Um, before we uh, wrap up finally, though, um, I just wanted to check in and uh, see uh, if you've got any things that you'd like to say to the audience at the end. Is there anything else that people can do to get in touch with you or to find out more about you or to learn about the work that you're doing? Um, well, um, certainly do take a look at the um, the Leave Network uh, page if you're if you're curious about the uh, many different ways that parental leave policies can be designed. So that's www.leavenetwork.org. Um, please get untouched on, on LinkedIn or um, you can look at my webpage uh, hosted by the University of Edinburgh. Um, if, you, if you Google Alison Kozlowski and parental leave, that should work. Excellent. 
Okay. Well, it's been a pleasure. So thank you very much. We'll share some of those details when we promote this. And until then, it's a, it's a big thank you from me. Yeah, and it's a big thank you from me. Thank you very much. Okay, so you are back in the room with Jane and myself now, and that was our conversation with Alison, where we started to explore some of the thorny issues to do with gender equality, specifically focusing on parental leave and perhaps a little bit more focused on paternity leave and some of the things that that we do as a society and in organisations to shape our paternity leave and influence um, the ways that we divide um, some of our caring responsibilities in society. Um, Jane, did you have anything that really struck you in that conversation or anything you want to reflect on? I guess there's two things that really struck me. And they're they're things that strike me quite a lot when we talk about issues, uh, particularly around benefits or work-life balance or other, you know, other domains, how work interacts with other domains of your life. And the first is that social norms are incredibly influential, right? We all think we're going to behave a certain way, but actually if the expectation of our society or our peers is different, we behave differently. And um, the second, which I, I still, I just need to spend a lot more time on, is this interrelationship between compliance and regulatory change and behavioural change. And I think, I think the reason I'm interested in that for two reasons, but especially in this conversation, because she's talking about the compliance being much more prescriptive to give them less flexibility but more directional. So this is your leave, and you can take it. But at the same time. We know that compliance alone doesn't work. We need we need the behavioural and the social norms shifting. And I, I I still can't quite get to grips with where I stand on how those two things can be managed to improve behaviour change on a mass scale in 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 the equality and diversity and inclusion space. Yeah, there, there's some some great comments in there. Um, and I I think I had some similar reflections along the way. I kept thinking about sort of libertarian paternalism and and how does how does what we're doing give people some choice or not give them choice and and what mix of those things do we need to have when we're looking to change these things um i guess the the sort of takeaway for me was it felt like when we were talking through this that this was a great example of a large wicked problem right when we're thinking about these really large complex systemic challenges to take i couldn't help but thinking that pretty much everything that we think about within this context is uh, you know preceded by something is followed after by something and 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 we have a big spaghetti complexity to try and get through and I thought that was that's a it was brought to life for me in that conversation the systemic and, and complex nature of, of these types of changes and how hard it is to to move things when everything's connected um, so I don't have an answer to that but it, it felt like a great example of a, a really large challenge well and I, I think it's a really interesting and I think that connects with a lot of the stuff we talk and actually I think it's less I'm now at a place where I'm almost it's less surprising to me that everything is linked and it's more I think we have to create arbitrary boundaries in order to figure out which parts of the system we work on at different times otherwise the problem becomes so interconnected in our society that it's almost it's like a massive jumbled ball of wool that you cut you find the end but there's no point pulling that end because if you pull that end you just tighten up all the knots in it and I think I think there's a there's a, a, a question about how we demarcate the different areas arbitrarily almost to allow ourselves some success in some spaces and then start to untangle bits on the other side. Yeah, I think that's fair. I, I think for me, there's, there's another comment sort of to build on that, which is that when these things are, are big and wicked and complex, one of the things that we can all do is we can all look after our own small garden, if you will. And, and use our own behaviors and try and shape our little space. And that's okay. So if you're in an organization and um, believe that this is the direction we should be going in, you can role model things yourself. You can look after your small patch of the world. And if everybody looks after their small patch of the world, then perhaps the world will change eventually. So I think there's something about that, you know, doing what you can 
um, exerting influence on the spaces that you can um, and, and trying to shift things that way. Well, I think that's probably about it from us. So it's goodbye from me until next time. Yeah, and until next time, it's good Friday from me too. Hi, it's Jane. I just want to say thanks for listening to the whole episode. If you enjoyed it, if you have a question or if you just want to say hi, you can find us on Twitter at worldofwork underscore IO. Don't forget, you can also find out more about what we do, including our online seminars, workshops and development programs on www.worldofwork.io. 